Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. How's everybody doing on this Wednesday? This podcast is being broadcasted on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan from 5 to 6 p.m. We are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill. Go jump at Slide Inflatables, Backwoods Barbecue, and Planet Fitness. This is episode 475 on this Wednesday, October the 5th, 2022. And on the show today, I'm going to have my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. We're going to make some college football picks. And then I'm going to have my Wednesday's guest, Justin Dale, as we're going to talk everything Georgia sports, as they had an incredible weekend of sports this past weekend. But we do have a great show. I really enjoy the direction this podcast is going. I'm thinking about submitting my podcast to the Sekai of podcasts. So Josh Pate inked a new deal with 24-7 Sports and CBS, which means he's going to be in Nashville for a very long time. Look, his late kick podcast is very successful, but it did start in Columbus, and Josh Pate is considered a role model of mine. He is the gold standard when it comes to broadcasting. I moved to Columbus in 2015, and he got his start on the radio show, The Press Box with Bobby Z and Friends. And it's funny how everybody that Josh Pate has worked with, I've had on the show. I've had Bobby Z. I've had Thrift Behringer. I've had Buckets. I'm proud of the work that Josh Pate has done. He is a hard worker. And it goes to show, when you have a passion for something, you just go for it. So congratulations to Josh. I wish him nothing but the best. And uh, maybe one day I'll finally get to meet you. You know, we got a lot of mutual friends on Facebook. I'm just saying. You got Aaron Judge hitting his 62nd home run. Is he the all-time home run king? Or is it still Barry Bonds? There's kind of a controversy with that. I'll get into that. The Atlanta Braves get a narrow victory over the Miami Marlins 2-1. to And they have won their fifth straight National League East Championship. I'm going to have Justin Dale on the show. Of course, as always, we recorded that episode yesterday. So we didn't have the results yet of the Braves clinching. But they finally do. They lock up the number two seed. They play the winner of St. Louis and Philly in the wild card round. The Major League Baseball playoffs will start this Friday, October the 7th. Oh, it should be fun. College football week six. We've got some incredible matchups. We have the Deep South's oldest rivalry, Georgia versus Auburn. It just means so much more living in Columbus because I feel that Columbus is an Auburn town. Auburn is only 45 minutes away from Columbus. And then you have Georgia the defending national champions. 
Brian Harson is on the hot seat at Auburn. I'm surprised he hasn't been fired yet. And Georgia is a huge favorite over the Auburn Tigers. Alabama is taking on Texas A&M. It's Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. Remember when this was the most anticipated college football game of the year because of the beef going back and forth between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher? And then they squashed that beef during SEC media days. And now it's not that big of a deal because Alabama is just going to continue to roll even though Bryce Young is listed as day-to-day. A lot of clarity in college football. Just a lot of teams in action Starting with tonight, we got a Wednesday night college football game, SMU taking on UCF. This game was supposed to be played on the first, but it got moved because of Hurricane Ian. Friday's games, Nebraska and Rutgers. You got Houston and Memphis. The Memphis Tigers. A big shout out to the Tigers. I used to live in Memphis. My first college football game was at the Liberty Bowl. I watched Memphis play UAB, and that was back when the Memphis Tigers had D'Angelo Williams. Memphis is 4-1. and one. Their only loss was to Mississippi State. And I love the Memphis Tigers. I, I just love everything about Memphis sports. Colorado State taking on Nevada. And then the surprising UNLV running Rebels. 4-1 and one on the season. Their only loss was to Cal. And they take on San Jose State who's 3-1. and one. Luckily, I got CBS Sports Network because I definitely want to see that game. It's going to be at Spartan Stadium on a Friday night. What is the crowd going to look like for that game? And all season long, I actually thought that UNLV was going to be one of those teams that could replace USC and UCLA in the Pac-12 because of Vegas and playing at Allegiant Stadium. But their football program hasn't been all that great. And neither has their basketball program in the last couple of uh, decades. All right. I want to talk about the UCLA Bruins. You know, I picked Utah to beat UCLA Friday night at the Rose Bowl. But UCLA's 5-0. Chip Kelly is having his best season with the Bruins. You know, he went 8-4 and last year. And they didn't play in the bowl game because it got canceled because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But if UCLA was in the SEC, Chip Kelly would have been fired after year two after going three and nine his first year then going four and eight yeah he would have gotten the axe that's why it's very important to be patient with these coaches and i'm talking to you auburn brian harson is in year two and you want to run him out of town you know brian harson is a good coach if you just be patient and trust the process i believe brian harson could turn things around but you're way too impatient you wanted to drive Gene Chizik out of town after he went 3-9, and nine, one season. Look at the fan base at Tennessee, driving Butch Jones out of town. And, you know, Butch Jones did win nine games two seasons. So be patient. The UCLA fan base, however many fans that is, could be happy with the job that Chip Kelly is doing at UCLA. And, and we'll see how they compete when they finally make it to the Big Ten. But UCLA is a program that really doesn't care about football, but Chip Kelly is a great coach. Just wish he could have done more with the San Francisco 49ers in 2016 when they went 2-14. and 14. I'm kind of disappointed. I actually watched on YouTube the Banana Ball World Tour announcements, and they did not choose Columbus as a destination. Feeling kind of bummed out about that, but they've decided to extend their brand to California and New York. So 
Now you got Banana Ball in Sacramento, you got it in San Jose, you got it in New York City. So it's actually getting very well known. And if you want to see Banana Ball, I mean, they're going to be in Montgomery. They're going to be in Birmingham. So it's okay. Montgomery is only an hour and a half from where I live. Or you could just watch Banana Ball and go to Historic Grayson Stadium in Savannah. So the Columbus Rapids will start their preseason December 1st. I cannot wait until the schedule comes out as I will be on the call doing the play-by-play for the Columbus Rapids this year. And we do have some signings. We have some players returning for a second season, including on the men's team, Manny Chavez, who scored the first goal in Rapids history, and the talented amateur player from Point University, Brandon Cervantes, who was leading goal scorer for the Rapids last season. On the women's team, the best goalkeeper in the NISL, and this is my opinion, Bria Riancho is coming back to be the goalkeeper for the Columbus Rapids. She played soccer at Columbus State, and she's also a very good position player as well. In fact, scored a goal last season. I'm excited about the Columbus Rapids this year. and Looking forward to that. Looking forward to the Columbus River Dragons in action. They are a couple of weeks away from hosting an exhibition game against the Mississippi Seawolves. And the high school game of the week is St. Ampicelli at Brookstone. The battle for the Brucelli Jug. You know, Brookstone won this contest six years in a row. And then St. Ampicelli brought the Brucelli Jug back to the campus of St. Ampicelli. And right now, the Vikings of Pacelli are 5-1. and one. Brookstone is 3-2. and two. And both teams are playing their first game in region play. We have some incredible Thursday night games. I'm going to recap those on my high school football Friday Night Lights preview review show this Friday night. You don't want to miss it. And that is for week seven. And I will also preview what might be the high school game of the week for week eight. It's looking like it's going to be Central and Auburn. I actually, it's a foregone conclusion looking at that for week eight and i hope to have jared dillard on the show next week so we can preview that upcoming game there's a lot of stuff going on on tomorrow's show i'm gonna have gabe reynolds and we're gonna talk about the dallas cowboys and who do you start at quarterback when dak prescott is clear to play and he wants to play against the los angeles rams do you start cooper rush or do you start dak prescott NFL Football Week 5, you got the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Denver Broncos for the Thursday night game. A lot of matchups that Corey and I are going to break down. I'm going to have my NFL picks on the Daily Dash on tomorrow's show, including the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers, they're an 8.5 point favorite. So Aaron Judge hit his 62nd home run as the New York Yankees defeated the Texas Rangers. 62 home runs. Remember back when 62 was such a hallowed number, when Mark McGuire hit 62 to surpass Roger Maris? Well, not only is this a New York Yankees single-season record, it's the American League single-season record. As if you look at all the home run leaders after Roger Maris, McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds, they all had... 60s and 70s. McGuire hit 70. Barry Bonds hit 73. But which is the home run record? Is it 62? 
by Aaron Judge or is it 73 by Barry Bonds? I'm going to say that the home run record is Barry Bonds with 73, but you got to factor in that the steroids era wasn't just hitters. It was also pitchers. I do feel that steroids is cheating and Barry Bonds never failed a drug test. The pitchers he was facing were also taking steroids. So that whole era of steroids, it happened. It's part of baseball. You just got to deal with it. Barry Bonds was a great baseball player, even without steroids. And that's why I feel he should be in the Hall of Fame. There was a lot of players that took steroids from 1990 all the way to whenever the Mitchell Report came out, which I think was 2007. Steroids was part of baseball. I realized when I was a kid, I realized that steroids were dangerous when the Raiders uh, lineman, Lyle Alzado, passed away. And then the third baseman for the Houston Astros, the Braves, Ken Caminetti. When he passed away, I realized that steroids can actually kill these athletes. And I completely disagree with steroids. I think that it's, it is 100% cheating. All right. It's about that time to bring on my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. You know, we're going to be at Glenwood this Friday as they will take on Monroe Academy. I always like going back to Glenwood. Uh, That's a very special place. Of course, it is where Tim Hudson went to school and all those baseball championships in the 1990s, in the 80s. I think, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember when Tim Hudson actually went to Glenwood. He is now the baseball manager at Lee Scott Academy. We'll be right back with Corey. Welcome back to the Daily Dash. I got my co-host and broadcast partner, Corey Bank, and he is on to make some college football picks with me for week six. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Let's get underway and make our college football predictions. All right, we're going to start with a big one. Tennessee is favored by three. They are ranked eighth there, 4-0. LSU is 4-1. and one. The last time that Tennessee went to Death Valley, Derek Dooley was the head coach, and they lost the game because they had too many men on the field, and LSU replayed the down. But this Tennessee team is different. They have a great quarterback in Hinton Hooker. LSU, it's always tough at Death Valley. It is a noon kickoff. So the Tennessee Volunteers step onto the field holding a record of 4-0 for the season. The last time they took the field, Richard, the Volunteers took the field against the Florida Gators and walked away with a win by a score of 38-33. Hendon Hooker connected on 22-28 passing for 349 yards and two touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of an astonishing 206.8 and finished the game without throwing a pick. Hendon Hooker was the leader on the ground for the Volunteers with 13 carries for 112 yards, 8.6 yards per carry. At the end of the game, they tallied 70 plays, which gave them a total of 576 yards. The Tennessee Volunteers ended up running the ball 42 times and had 227 yards, a 5.4 yards per carry average. When it came to stopping the run, the Volunteers gave 142 yards on 43 carries, which is an average of 3.3 yards per 
rush surrendered. Now, that Tennessee team allowed 24 pass completions on 45 tries for 415 yards and a completion rate of 53.3%. The Tigers step onto the field holding, like you said, Richard, a 4-1 record this season. In their last game, the Tigers took home a win with the final score of 21-17 when they played the Auburn Tigers. Josh Williams ran the football 17 times for 68 yards, finishing the game with a rush average of four yards per carry. LSU's Jaden Daniels ended the game of a very inconsistent game, going 8 of 20 for 80 yards, while the quarterback rating for him is 73.6. But the point of the matter is, is that they gave up 101 yards on the ground, and they gave up 270 yards throughout the entire game. But in this one, Richard, I think the Tennessee Volunteers, based upon all this analysis, are going to be victorious in this one. Now let's go to TCU and Kansas. Both teams undefeated. A Big 12 showdown. In fact, college game day in Lawrenceville, in Lawrence, Kansas. Man, I almost said Lawrenceville. The Kansas Jayhawks are ranked 19th. They are 5-0. and They were able to get big wins, including against Iowa State last week. They've beaten Houston. They've beaten West Virginia. They've had some pretty impressive wins. TCU got a huge win over the Oklahoma Sooners, but TCU is favored by seven. TCU seems to be the stronger team, but they are playing in Lawrence, Kansas. Corey, I think that Kansas's season as magical as it's been, I think that Kansas wins it again because they have the home field advantage. But, Corey, who do you have? So Kansas is far better than expected, and they're worthy of all the praise, Richard. With the play of quarterback Jalen Daniels. But I think the buck stops here. The TCU team, and they are living up to the hype. The team has scored 38 points in every game this season so far, averaging eight yards per play. The best mark in the country. First year head coach, Sonny Dykes, has joined the Horn Frogs and revitalized their defense that is outpacing high powered offenses like SMU and Oklahoma. The defense has also held up in their end of the bargain under first-year head coach, Coach Gislepi, ranking top 50 in success rate against the aforementioned elite offenses. While Daniels has been electric on offense, we saw the Jayhawks struggle in their first game against an above-average defense in Iowa State last week who runs a similar 3-3-5 scheme, but the Kansas team totaled 213 yards in the win against Iowa State and needed the Cyclones to miss three field goals to hang on to that 14-11 victory. But now they will face their toughest test of the season and to, and to be unable to keep up. The Jayhawks defense is ranked 80th in success rate and won't be able to keep down the Horn Frogs offense. Now this TCU Team has become a massive favor on the road, and I agree. But I'm going to opt to go with the TCU team total over in hopes that their offense clears 38 points or more for the fifth straight time this season. A Pac-12 showdown at the Rose Bowl. The Utah Utes 
taking on the UCLA Bruins, a resurgent Bruins team undefeated and ranked 18th, led by head coach Chip Kelly. He has done his best job so far as the UCLA Bruins head coach. The Utes, after losing to Florida in their first game, they have rallied off four straight wins. I would say UCLA would win because of their home field advantage, but they're not going to have much of a home field advantage as they have been performing in front of half-filled stadiums. One, I think UCLA's undefeated season comes to an end, and Cameron Rising continues to push the Utah Utes into one of the top teams in the Pac-12. Corey, who do you have in this game? So this game, Richard, should feature a ton of points as this Utah defense is still developing with a young core, and DTR is more than capable of taking over games. But when he's on the UCLA signal caller, he is as good as they come. Against Washington, Thompson Robinson completed 24 of 33 passing for 315 yards and three touchdowns. He added 53 yards on the ground and a touchdown score. Meanwhile, that Utah offense has bounced back off a week one road loss to Florida by dismantling opponents, scoring at least 35 points in every game. The offensive line is elite in the run game and pass protection as Rising has been sacked only three times this season. And the team is averaging over five yards per carry, while UCLA won more convincingly than the 40-32 to 32 score line. So this indicates that the defense has not been challenged that much this season, Richard. And I think Utah's offensive line provides the stiffest test for a unit that has been propped up for by a relatively easy schedule to start this season. But the Utes have also feasted on inferior competition. The Utah defense still has ways to go. Bottom half of the country in explosive pass and rush defense. And that can be where Thompson Robinson, running back Zach Carbonette, and wide receiver Jake Bobo can attack. I think points will come in bunches on Saturday afternoon. So I'll go over the total as both defenses will still leave what is to be a desired football game in itself. And I think the Utes will take the victory. That is a great pick. Now the final pick, you got the Florida State Seminoles traveling to take on NC State. Florida State is back. I know they lost to Wake Forest last week. NC State loses to Clemson. NC State is a slight favorite. I think that the quarterback play of Jordan Travis is going to be the difference. So this Florida State offense is 17th ranked in the country, Richard, led by, like you said, Jordan Travis, who had a really good game even in the loss against Wake Forest last week. Devin Leary is touted as one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC, a savvy veteran who can lead the North Carolina State team to be a real contender in the conference. But Travis has been better. Leary has 1,135 yards for the season, 10 touchdowns, three interceptions, and completes 62.8% of his passes. But Travis has 1,226 yards. He completes his passes 65.9% of the time and has only been sacked three times all year. In the North Carolina State's only game against a high-level opponent, they ran the ball for 42 yards the entire game. 
Their defense and secondary has been held up as the reason they can compete with the best teams in the country. Jordan Travis will I'll play Devin Leary in this week's game. The Florida State Seminoles will go 5-1. and one. I like those picks. So we agree on three out of the four picks and uh, just a successful episode of the Daily Dash. Corey, as always, thank you. Absolutely, Richard. It's always a pleasure. All right. That was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bay, the Daily Dash. We'll be right back with Justin Dales. He is going to wrap up the weekend in Georgia sports. You don't want to miss it. We will be back with Justin. And welcome back to the show. I've got Wednesday's guest, Justin Dale, here to talk everything Georgia sports related. Justin, what a week for the state of Georgia. Braves sweep the Mets. Falcons win. Georgia wins. Georgia Tech wins. Georgia State wins. Am I missing anybody? Oh, that's right. Atlanta United could not win, and they're actually eliminated from playoffs. They're eliminated from the playoffs for the Major League Soccer season, but that's neither here nor there. Justin, what a weekend. Yeah, it was an exciting weekend uh, for uh, Georgia sports, Atlanta sports, um, You know, minus the, what happened to Atlanta United, disappointing the – to see them um, get bounced uh, early out of the playoffs, but um, you know they had a, you know they had a tough season dealing with some injuries and things, and um, you know I was I was proud of them for making the playoff field. I knew it was going to be a tough road with them having such a low seed, but um, Atlanta United is, uh, you know, they, I think they got some brighter days ahead of them. They got they got some good young players, some things to be excited about. They can grow on. They'll get some players back from injury next year, and so. You know, looking forward to the next season for Atlanta United. But yeah, it was great, great week for uh, all all things Georgia sports related. Uh, Big Braves had a huge weekend, pulled off a sweep of the Mets um, in first place by well, one and a half games today. Um, they were in a Sunday. They were up by two games. They owned the tiebreaker against the Mets. Um, so that means they they won the season series ten to nine against them, and they don't have to. Uh, worry about if they if they um, if they were to finish in a tie on Wednesday when the season ends, uh, the Braves would have win the division at that point and uh, get a first round bye in the playoffs, which was huge. Uh, emotional win for Georgia Tech after a crazy week, um, seeing Jeff Collins getting fired, um, and they played really inspired football um, and went and beat a pretty good you know Pittsburgh team uh, on the road um, as well. Uh, Georgia. Georgia won against Missouri. It wasn't great. Um, Georgia really got outplayed for three quarters against Missouri, but um, they pulled it out at the end. You know, most of us are saying a win's a win <laughs> at this point. Um, we'll take it. So, but yeah, it was a good weekend. All right, let's start with this three-game series between the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets. First of all, the Braves had to face Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, and it felt like a playoff atmosphere, sellouts the entire weekend, and that Sunday night game just capped it all off. Did you go to any of the games this past weekend? Yes, I did. I went to the Friday night game, and you, you talk about a playoff um, atmosphere. That's exactly what it felt like um, on Friday for sure. Um, the place was packed out. Everybody was excited. There was a lot of cheering. Uh, people were chopping. The chop was breaking out. Um all over the place. Anytime the Braves got a hit or got something going, uh, the chop was going strong. And, um, you know, SunTrust is becoming 
very formidable atmosphere, especially around the playoffs. You know, the fans get really into it. They're there. Um, when that place is packed and they're banging those drums and those lights go down and everybody's got their cell phones out and doing the chop, like it is a very intimidating atmosphere for opposing teams. Um, and you can see that last year the Braves um, won all but one home game in the postseason last year, and that was game five of the World Series. And so, um, you know, uh, I don't know about how Turner Field was. I didn't go to any playoff games when the Braves were at Turner, but when the, uh, you know, here at Suntra or uh, Truist Park now, the, uh, the, the stadium's becoming kind of a, you know, uh, you know, like a, like a 10th man on the field kind of thing. Some of the heroes in the Braves lineup included Dansby Swanson and Matt Olson. They, they both homered in all three games against the New York Mets. Uh, is it time to get uh, Dansby Swanson, the contract he deserves? Yes, I, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think he should be a brave. Um, he's really taken up that leadership role that was vacated when Freddie Freeman left. And, you know, I know it's going to take some money to sign him back. Um, uh, maybe a little bit more than what you would have paid him a couple of years ago, if you could have got him to an extension, but yeah, you're probably most players when you get to the free agent part of it, you're probably going to overpay a little bit to get those player services anyway. And so it's, it's, it's time, you know, I think that, that there will be, a, I think they'll work out a deal and he, and he can stay. There'll be other options out there. Obviously the, the shortstop market's going to be pretty packed um, with some really good talent out there, but what Dansby brings to the table with the intangibles and just the fact he's such a leader on and off the field. Um, I, I think keeping him around um, long-term will be the best answer. And he's an Atlanta guy, you know, he was born and raised here. Um, he was been, he's, Pretty much, he said he's a you know pretty much a homer. He's a Braves, Falcons, Hawks, all of the above. He loves the city of Atlanta, um, and he was raised here. And I think it would be it'd be great to see him sign a long term deal and stay stay here in Atlanta. The Braves' magic number is one to clinch the NL East. By the time this show airs, the Atlanta Braves might be division champs. The New York Mets have a doubleheader today against the Washington Nationals because Monday's game was rained out. The Braves did lose 4 to nothing to the Miami Marlins. You know, they had a very long flight, and they, they had a Sunday night game, and they had to fly to Miami, and it was just a crazy road just game against the Miami Marlins. But they have one more time to clinch, and hopefully they clinch it uh, today and uh, – well, they'll we'll find out. They'll be uh, NL East champs uh, when this show airs. Man, that would be five straight championships. Five is not fourteen, but that's a start. I think we're starting to see something special brewing in Atlanta. Absolutely, um, the fact that the Braves have trailed in the standings, you know, most of the year. Uh, I think one hundred and seventy something days. Um, they've trailed and been in second place. The Mets have been in first, and now the Braves have spent three days, I think, total in first place now, and they're in a position to win it. And so it just it just goes to show you you've got to play all 162, and it's a long season, and you can't you know make assumptions in the middle of the season or it towards the or maybe you know three fourths away through the through the season. Um, you got to play all 162. And so, you know, the Braves are in a, have put themselves into a position where they, all they need is one more win. Uh, last night, watching them play against Miami, you could tell with them having the late night game on Sunday night, they didn't get in, I don't think, to Miami till 3, after 3 a.m. 
Um, they just kind of look tired, a little sluggish yesterday. And also it's, you know, it's, it's a big difference going from you're at home with your home crowd, the place is packed out, there's cheering, chanting going on. And then you go down to Miami and play the Marlins um, and there's nobody at the stadium. <laughs> and so it's yeah. a huge difference in, you know, atmosphere obviously. And so there could have been a little bit of a letdown. I, I kind of thought maybe that was going to be the case, but I'm not, you know, the, the Braves, they, they got through that game. They'll have um, Jake Odorizzi's taking the mound tonight. And I think the bats will be, they'll be a little bit more rested and be ready to go and get this last win so that they can, they can win. But yeah, any, any combination of a Braves win um, or a Mets loss, if they were to lose one of these games in this doubleheader, the Braves will win the division and be in at least champions for the fifth straight season. June 1st, the New York Mets were 10 and a half games above the Atlanta Braves in the NL East. And right now, just hearing from Mets fans, to them, this is considered an epic collapse. You remember that Mets reporter who said, and this, this video has gone viral, Justin, that Mets reporter who said, it's over. The Braves aren't catching the Mets. The Mets are going to be NL East champions. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that video has been going viral around uh, Braves country uh, since June 1st, honestly, um, where he, he he claimed that it was over. You know, they were bets were up by 10 and a half games. He said, forget the jinx. He said, you can tweet me all the hate you want, which I'm sure they people have now done so. But he said it was over. The Mets were going to win the division. Even at 10 and a half games out on June 1st, I, I thought that was a bit premature to kind of claim to, you know, proclaim that. Um, the Braves didn't have a very good, you know, April and May. I get that. They were under 500, didn't show any signs, but it, you know, he made that claim and then the Braves rattled off 14 straight wins and went from 10 and a half games out to, I think like four games out. And so we, just within two and a half weeks, they, they, they made up a ton of ground. Um, and then, you know, they, they would get close, kind of fall back a little bit, get close and then they had that, you know, the five games in New York where they went and played that five-game series. Braves lost four out of five there. They fell from, I think, three or three and a half games back down to six games or six, six and a half games back. And uh, that same broadcaster guy only was was claiming that the uh, it was over. You know, we're, they're done. They're not, you know, they're going to be too far behind. There's not enough season left for them to catch them. You know, the Braves made up that ground as well. In fact, actually, I think after he claimed it again, the Braves won eight or nine in a row. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, and that's what I was talking about. You've got to play all 162. You can't take anything for granted. The Mets had an easier schedule in September. I mean, I mean, and, you know, looking at on paper, they should have walked to the, the NL East division by now. They should have already had it. Um, but they, they lost some, some games against teams they shouldn't have been losing against. And then when they finally get head-to-head with Atlanta, uh, the Braves swept them. You know, that was, I mean, the Braves had to do it. I mean, for them to control their own destiny, for them to claim to, you know, have to be putting themselves in the position where they can realistically win the division, they had to sweep the Mets. The Mets only really needed to win one game out of that three-game set. They would have at least controlled their own destiny. Um, but they don't now. Now they're now they're scoreboard watching just like we are, or we were back before. Justin, let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs because, you know, they were a 30-point favorite against the Missouri Tigers. I – Happened to listen to the game on the radio. The Missouri Tigers completely dominated the line of scrimmage for three quarters. I thought that this was going to be the biggest upset in college football this season. When that Missouri kicker booted that 55-yard field goal and it was 22-12, to 12, 
I thought that the Missouri defense handled the Georgia offense that kept him out of the end zone. But Georgia and Brock Bowers, Kenny McIntosh, they willed their way to a victory. And a win is a win. I know Georgia dropped in the AP poll, but they did get the victory against an SEC opponent in a hostile environment. Yeah, absolutely. They got the win. Like I said, a win's a win. Um, you know, we'll we'll take it as Georgia fans and we'll move on. Um, Missouri, give them credit. They came to play. They were ready to play. And when you are the better team, but you're on the road at another team's stadium with their fans, and you allow another opponent to hang around and even have the lead for as long as Georgia allowed Missouri to do so, you know, it gets nerve wracking. You know, their fans get into it. The place gets loud. The the other team starts having hope and confidence. They start playing harder, thinking that they can pull this off. And Georgia just, they didn't look very good in the first half. Stetson Bennett didn't look good at all. Um, had a lot of incompletions. He overthrew some players. Um, you can definitely tell without having um, A.D. Mitchell and Arian Smith, two guys that can really stretch the field, um, without having those wide receivers that can do that, the Georgia can't get the ball down the field for some explosive plays when they need it. And that allows defenses to play in the box, to come up and play, and they can take away those medium to, to um, short uh, passing routes. And uh, Georgia was trying real hard to run the ball up the middle and just couldn't get anything going. Now, once they changed um, changed their direction in the fourth quarter, they started doing a little bit more outside running schemes, more power I, power you know power O um, offense and stuff. They they started going around the edges more. Once they did that, they were able to uh, get some penetration on that Missouri defense, and they were also able to avoid the blitz because Missouri was just blitzing them like crazy in the third quarter. And once they were able to get, you know, change their scheme up a little bit and and, and neutralize that Missouri um, pass rush, then they were able to get some yardage and, and also block a little bit better for um, Stetson Bennett to allow him to have time for his for his receivers to get open. And yeah, they got the ball to Bowers and Darnell Washington. Both of those guys are such big targets and um, they need to get the ball into their hands more. I know a lot of teams are focusing in on those tight ends. Um, but they got to find ways to, gen- you know, get the ball into Bowers' hands more. When they did, he's, I mean, those guys are just really explosive. And so, uh, but yeah, Georgia pulled out the win. It was, a, it was, not a great game. A lot to learn from. But yeah, you, you know, you're going to have games like that. I think we just we kind of go in and we expect, you know, teams like we see Alabama blowing out teams that um, on a weekend, ba- a weekly basis. And I think Georgia fans, we expect the same thing, um, especially after last year, because that's what we did last year. Um, but. You know, this is still a young team. They're still growing, and uh, they still got a lot to clean up and a lot to get better at. So, uh, hopefully, we can we'll see a better a better effort at home against Auburn this weekend. Let's talk about the Auburn Tigers because they still have their head coach Brian Harson. They were up seventeen to nothing against LSU, mm-hmm. and they could not make adjustments. And LSU won the game twenty-one to seventeen. Auburn fans are calling for Brian Harson to be fired. So we don't know if they're going to go into this Georgia game with an interim coach or if Brian Harson is still going to be coaching the Auburn Tigers. This seems like a complete mismatch because Auburn just doesn't have the players, but Robbie Ashford really stepped up in that LSU game, and they really played a very decent game out the gate, jumping up to a 17-0 lead. But if there's anything that Auburn has, they have a very talented running back in Tank Bigsby. I think that the matchup that we're going to look for is can Auburn run the football 
against this stout Georgia defense. And plus, we don't know the status of Jalen Carter, if he is going to go or not. But uh, what are you looking forward to about the, the Deep South's oldest rivalry? I mean, this is a very near and dear rivalry in my neck of the woods because I live in Columbus, right on the border of Auburn and Georgia. And really, both fan bases are alive and very noisy here in the Fountain City. Right. Um, it's always a good game when Georgia and Auburn get together. Um, you know, there is there's a lot of a lot of passion, a lot of hatred for both sides in there. Um, Deep South's oldest rivalry and all. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think I think Brian Harrison, yeah, he is on the hot seat. His job is in jeopardy. But I I think if Auburn was going to fire him, they would have done done it by now. Um, you know, we're recording on a Tuesday typically when they want to fire head coaches, they'll do it on a Monday morning so that the interim has all week to prepare and get a game plan together. Um, I, I mean, if, if Auburn decides to fire their head coach in the middle of the week during preparations for the next game, that's a terrible time to do it. But yeah, I do expect him to be on the, on the sidelines. You know, I expect Auburn to give a fight just because it is, it is Georgia. They know, you know, Georgia number two team in the country. They were number one for a couple of weeks. And so they know they can kind of change their season around, make it, make it, make some noise if they could upset the number one team, especially if it's on the road in Athens. I expect Georgia to be ready for this game. We've seen two Georgia teams. We've seen the first team at the beginning of the year that absolutely obliterated Oregon in a neutral site game, went on the road to South Carolina, obliterated them, and then took care of business against the Sanford team at home. And then we've seen this Georgia team the last two weeks that struggled in wins against Kent State and Missouri. And so, you know, I'm not sure which Georgia we're going to get. I'm not sure if we're going to get that dominant team that looks like that's unstoppable and looks like they could go, you know, 15 and 0 and win another national championship. Or are we going to get this team that, you know, has us all sweating and makes us nervous and makes us wonder if we're going to be able to beat Tennessee or Kentucky later, late, you know, next month. And so, you know, I, I do think that Bixby's a, 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 good, a great running back. Um, and I think Georgia will plan to try to stop him, obviously. It's definitely a difference without having Jalen Carter on that line. You know, without with him in there, I, I, the teams, they, they can't run the ball very well against this Georgia defense. But when he's out, I saw Missouri was gashing Georgia at times for, you know, 10, you know, for 10, 10, maybe 12 yards. And so, which is something we haven't really seen Georgia do. They, Georgia always prided themselves very much in the Kirby Smart era on stopping the run making teams one-dimensional. And if a team can get their running game going against our defense, it's going to be hard to defend. Um, so um, I, I expect Georgia to win this game. They're at home. It's a 3.30 game, so it's not an early start time. Um, Athens will be will be rocking. They'll be ready for, for Auburn. I do expect a win, um, but we'll see if it's going to be a, a dominant win or if it'll be a, a close one. Georgia Tech got a big win against the Pitt Panthers, 26-21, to thanks to interim head coach Brent Key, who took over for fired head coach Jeff Collins, who averaged three wins at Georgia Tech. Justin, their next two home games are against Duke and Virginia. They win both those games. They're four and three. Do you consider Brent Key to give them the permanent job when they, when it comes to their head coaching search? Is Brent Key a candidate, especially if he starts out the gate 3-0? and uh, yeah, I, I do. I do expect uh, him to be a candidate. Honestly, I think he should have been after the win last week. He walked into Pittsburgh and beat a, a you know pretty good Pittsburgh team um, on the road like you did. And he should definitely be a candidate already for the job. Um, you know, we'll see how it continues to play out. 
um, for Georgia Tech. But, you know, again, I saw a Georgia Tech team, I think I talked about this last week, that, you know, played tough against Clemson um, in the first half of their game at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, Clemson just has more depth. And so they just kind of outlasted them, you know, as we got in, as, as the game went on. But they put up a fight, you know, against against Clemson. And so there's there's some talent there. There's some resilience there. Um, I just think it takes going to take the right coach to bring it out. I, I do feel like as time went on with Jeff Collins, the players were starting to quit on him. Um, at least that's from, from what I – Again, I'm not in, I don't have any inside information, but just from what I see on the product on TV, um, they looked like they they were kind of not not playing as well as they could, especially again that Ole Miss game. They really didn't play well at all in that game. But um, but yeah, I just I saw a team that looked that looked more inspired. Um, they played hard and uh, a, lot, a little, lot more sound execution. And so, yeah, I, I think you might see a difference. You know, I, I don't think Georgia Tech's going to really be a contender for the ACC title this year. Um, but I do think that they can do enough to where um, the, inter- the the coach, the interim head coach will be a candidate and he could have his interim tag removed and he could become the permanent head coach. All right, Justin, let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. They're two and two. Their last two wins have been similar. Grady Jarrett gets a big sack on third down and then they get an interception to seal the game. Right. The Falcons defense has been winning the football games. And don't look now, Justin. They are tied with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a two and two record with a shot at the division this Sunday. The winner of that game is going to be in first place in the NFC South. They took on a very talented Cleveland Browns team that had Nick Chubb. And, and Nick Chubb was, you know, he's a great running back. Mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett did just enough. I know they didn't have Miles Garrett in the lineup, but this was a back and forth game. The Falcons defense stepped up when it mattered the most. I was very impressed with the running backs, Tyler Algier and Caleb Hundley. And then here's a player that we'll remember. It's not Robert Alford. It's D Alford. He got the interception to seal the victory. I saw the, the last name on the back of the Jersey. I'm like, when did Robert Alford come back to the Falcons? I know. Right. You see that. And you start thinking, uh, Start looking back at those uh, mid twenty teens Falcons teams. You're thinking, oh, you know, you start, you know, is Robert Alford back? But no, you can definitely tell from week to week they're playing better. And you know, we we me and you've talked about this. The Falcons. I mean, those first two games that they lost at the beginning of the year, they were just a few plays from winning those games. I mean, the Falcons could, you know, if the ball would have bounced the right way for them in those games, they could be four and zero right now. But they're two and two. They they're tied with Tampa Bay for the. Uh, for the division, have a chance to move in the first place by themselves with a win on um, on Sunday. But yeah, it's they're playing really, really well. Um, Marcus Mariota gets a lot of hate. I don't know why. He's he's a pretty good quarterback, you know, and he brings that mobile element to the team that they they haven't had in since really since Michael Vick, honestly. And uh, the, the running backs, I bet I was really impressed with Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley. And uh, I know a lot more of the workload is being transferred to some of these other backs to try to help Cordero, Cordero Patterson and with his knee issues. And now that Cordero Patterson, actually, the, the bad news is he's going to the IR. Uh, he'll miss the next four games at least for the Falcons. So that's a huge blow. But I think the running game will be in good hands with Algier and Huntley um, in the backfield and them splitting carries. Um, trying to keep each other fresh in the games. But, yeah, this, this Falcons team's playing well. The defense is, you know, they're doing 
they're doing enough to win games. You know, that's the biggest thing. Uh, Garrett, Grady Jarrett's having a good, having another Pro Bowl season already. He looks like he's already in midseason form after four games. It's a definitely a lot better product on the field. And the fact that the Falcons are even in position this early in the season to be fighting for the division lead is just, uh, you know, gives, gives you something to cheer about if you're a Falcons fan. Justin, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but in two weeks, it's the Kyle Shanahan Bowl. What reception is Kyle Shanahan going to get when he makes his return to Atlanta? I mean, I don't know. I, I think he should get cheers. I mean, he, you know, I mean, the, the two seasons he was there as the offensive coordinator, I know the first year wasn't the best, but that second year, you know, the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, you know, and, and everything. But I think there's going to be some people that will be upset. They're going to, it's going to just remind them of that. Super Bowl 51, where the Falcons blew that lead. There's still a lot of people that are mad at him for not trying to, you know, be a little bit more conservative or making better play calls to try to win that game instead of just trying to go for a kill shot, which is what I feel like they were doing towards the end of that game. And, you know, and Shanahan's been he's – he's an aggressive play caller, and that's just how he's always been. It's cost him a, another Super Bowl <laughs> uh, since he's been a head coach. But, um, but yeah, I think there'll be some cheers. There might there'll probably be some boos. In there, so probably be a mixed reception. Honestly, Falcons fans are very fickle. Um, they're very much "What have you done for me lately?" kind of people. So, and the last thing they remember is him blowing the Super Bowl. So, we'll so we'll see we'll see what happens. Well, both teams are two and two. The Falcons play the Buccaneers on Sunday. The 49ers will play the Carolina Panthers. Knowing Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers are going to stay on the East Coast after playing Carolina next week. They're going to get ready for the Atlanta Falcons and. You're going to have the best defense in football right now. I watched that Monday night football game against the Rams. They completely shut the Rams offense out and kept them out of the end zone. I think the Falcons are going to have a tough task to try to beat the 49ers. I think they can beat the 49ers because there are some holes on the 49ers team. They don't have Trent Williams. They're going to be out with him. And they're not really utilizing George Kittle because they got to keep him in the block because their offensive line is depleted. And they're really thin at running back. They just uh, elevated former Falcons running back Tevin Coleman to the active roster. So that's a nice homecoming if Tevin Coleman can make it back to uh, Atlanta. So, uh, Justin, we got plenty of time to preview this game. But you know how much this game means to me. I am excited anytime the Falcons play the 49ers because – Whoever wins the game, I come out a winner. Right, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, it's a um, – you know, it, it'll be a good game. Um, I, I think when me and you were going through the schedule, I think we, we both predicted this as a loss, I believe. And, yeah, we did. Um, and everything. But, I, I, you know, obviously any game is winnable. You know, two teams take the field. You know, anything can happen. Um, a key injury could come up in the game, which could give, you know, which could give the Falcons an opening or something. I, you know, you just never know. Or somebody could just go off, have a big game. Um, I, I think with the, the Falcons will be without Cordell Patterson, which I think is a huge loss for the next few weeks. Um, not having him there because he's such a weapon, not just as a running back, but also as a wide receiver. So they'll have to overcome that. Um, I still think this game is probably a loss. I do think the 49ers will probably win this game, but never count the Falcons out. They, you know, they played well. Uh, Not a lot of people gave them credit to win this game against Cleveland and they did. And so I I do think that, you know, if, if nothing else, I mean, the Falcons had the Rams, you know, the Rams were blowing them out two weeks ago and then the Falcons came storming back. And honestly, you know, pulled within the field goal and almost beat them. So um, I do think that, you know, anything's possible when it comes to the NFL. And so don't, don't count the Falcons out. 
All right, Justin, before I let you get out of here, I mean, October is my favorite month because we have all four major sporting leagues all in action. We got NBA preseason. The NHL starts October 11th. I saw a report that former NHL player Anson Carter wants to bring an NHL franchise to the city of Atlanta. I first read that. I'm like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. The NHL failed in Atlanta. As much as an Atlanta Thrashers fan, I was. What was your best memories of the Thrashers? I mean, they were a team that didn't make the playoffs in 2007. Ilya Kovalchuk was their superstar. I went to like five Thrashers games at Phillips Arena. But uh, do you have any memories of the Thrashers when they were here in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I remember that um, the, the season they made the playoffs. That was a fun season. Um, I know they got bounced in the first round by the Rangers, but... Um, it was that was a that was a fun team to watch, um, and and them making the playoffs was huge. I, I went to a few Thrashers games um, myself. Nothing really stuck out. I was I was really kind of when the Thrashers came into town in '99. I was still very much learning the, the sport of hockey and uh, trying to understand how everything worked and stuff. And and while I, I enjoyed watching the Thrashers and going to games, um, I didn't follow it as closely as you know, like I did baseball and and and. and college football and NFL and stuff like that. So, but yeah, they were, it was fun for them to be here. I hated when they got, when they left, cause I do felt like the team, it was just mismanaged by ownership. Um, oh, the spare the group, the worst owners in sports ever, ever. Yeah. Ever. Exactly. Um, they mismanaged the Hawks for years. They mismanaged the Thrashers. Um, at least with the Hawks, it didn't result in the Hawks leaving town, um, but it did result in the Thrashers leaving town. They ended up going to Winnipeg and, and are now the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, yeah, I do miss the Thrashers. You know, um, I, I miss having that here. And honestly, I just don't – I don't see any – I can't I can't see a scenario where the NHL would, would allow Atlanta to have another franchise. They've tried it twice with the Thrashers and then the, the Flames before that um, that are now the Calgary Flames. But the uh, so they've done it twice, and I just can't see the NHL saying, "Yeah, let's try it again." Maybe the third time will work in Atlanta. Um, maybe if the right ownership group was there and they could really, you know, convince the NHL that they were all in and wanted to invest, and we're going to make sure that this franchise was ran better and more properly, and this, that, and the other. Um, I could maybe see that. It, it's tough just because there's so there's so many options already in Atlanta. Um, between the, the the Braves, the Falcons, the Hawks, Atlanta United, um, there's so much there. I just don't know if there's the, the fan base is really there to support hockey. But I think it would be – originally, I think there would be a lot of former Thrasher fans who would love to see another NHL franchise here. But I just – I don't know. I, I don't I, – I don't put a lot of stock in um, or hope in us getting a third franchise down the road anytime soon. Does Arthur Blank want to own an NHL franchise? I was just throwing, I was throwing that out there. You know, Arthur Blank, great owner. Um, he yeah. got his hands full. He needs to get Atlanta United right first. And then yeah, I know. A third franchise. Oh, man. No, yeah. like I said, we, we had a great weekend in Atlanta sports, in Georgia sports, really. And uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Justin, as always, I appreciate you just being a guest on the show and looking forward to having you back on next week so we can uh, wrap up uh, all the Georgia sports that happens over the weekend. Yeah, man. I, I enjoy being on here and looking forward to talking about it next week. Hopefully we'll be uh, talking about the Braves winning the division and getting ready for the division series. Absolutely. Thank you, Justin, for being on the show. Uh, Justin Dale, everybody.
Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the podcast. Don't forget, you can download us on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode, and I hope that everybody has a great rest of your day. Bye. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.